Hello, I'm your host Jim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of the Bantaflix Movie Review Podcast. So this edition of the podcast is the first in a two-part Edinburgh International Film Festival special. We've spoken to so many guests during this year's programme that we've had to fill it out over two podcasts. On this episode, we'll be checking out the festival's opening night, a gala screening of Puzzles starring Kelly MacDonald. I'll be speaking with Sergio G. Sanchez, the writer and director of The Secret of Marabone, and we'll also be speaking to some of the film's cast on the festival's red carpet. And we'll wrap up by chatting with Ben Elton about Three Summers. So to kick things off, we were down at the Festival Theatre on the opening night of this year's Edinburgh International Film Festival for the gala screening of Puzzle. Film stars Kelly MacDonald as Agnes, a taken-for-granted mother who discovers a passion for competitive jigsaw solving, and we caught up with Kelly along with the film's director, Mark Turtletab, but we also spoke with Mark Adams and Diane Henderson, the Edinburgh International Film Festival's artistic directors. I'm here about the puzzles. You seem to have some mark on your forehead. It's Ash Wednesday. Is that a problem? No, not at all. As long as we don't have to share the prize with the Pope. <laughs> competition i'm doing it honey i'm not asking you i'm telling you you're so much more comfortable when you're focusing on the puzzles turns you on he's using you everybody always uses you and you let him i don't know why someone like you would find me interesting you're modest and strange and beautiful and funny (laughs) does that make me weird no just different I'm joined now by Mark Adams and Diane Henderson, the artistic directors of the Edinburgh International Film Festival. It is the opening night. I know you've been asked this several times already down the red carpet, but what have you cooked up along with your programmers for us this year? Starting with you, Mark. Well, I think we've cooked up, well, hopefully cooked up a lot of great movies, a lot of great guests, a lot of great events, a lot of, you know, lots of things happening around the periphery in terms of music, there's retrospective screens, there's shorts, experimental work, lots of exciting things and I think for film lovers, it's a chance to really delve in and try lots of different, taste lots of different things. And that's always really exciting. And we've got some wonderful guests coming into town um, to present their films, some of whom, for example, in our retrospective programme, some wh- we have a programme of female directors from the 80s, and a few of them are coming into town. Now, these are people I grew up watching, so for me, that's a hugely exciting thing. Um, uh, people like Travis coming along to present Fran Healy to present his film um, off the top of my head yeah, Fran's so excited about yeah it. and it's just lovely to, to be able to facilitate that really because we're just film geeks that's what we are that's what we do aren't we all yeah um, exactly if I could ask you like, it was one thing I noticed today as I was coming in to pick up my press badge the sponsorship with Netflix like uh-huh. I mean other festivals are taking a different attitude towards Netflix um, I think do, I have to say that I think it's great to see them on the yeah. big screen. Can I just ask like what that means for yourselves as a festival? We work with Netflix every year, and um, yeah, we've got a few yeah, of their yeah. films in the program. Um, this year we did the year before. We did the year before. Um, the, 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 we are quite far removed from the situation with the Cannes Film Festival, and they make their own decisions for their own reasons. Yeah. But for, I mean, they've been a huge support, as you noticed 
financially and, and otherwise. They've been a wonderful support to us, actually. And frankly, I spend quite a lot of my life watching Netflix. <laughs> I love it. There, there's worse <laughs> way of things to do than Netflix and exactly. chill on an evening. Um, exactly. Just now, just because I know you're pressed for time, just my last question. It's the opening night. It's, it's Puzzle is the opening film. Mark, can you just tell us a little bit about the film and uh, just kind of why it was chosen to, to launch this year's programme? Well, it's an American independent film about um, a housewife who leads a very ordinary life and sees her role as being helping her family, looking after her family. And it's about her realisation that she could be so much more in her life. And I think why we loved it so much was that Kelly is just so fantastic in it. We've all seen Kelly in great films before and slightly smaller roles supporting, but here she is her film. She's front and centre. She's so nuanced and so delightful and so moving and so charismatic and so empowering that it's, it's a really amazing film in that sense. And I think it'll get a lot of a lot of great reviews and a lot of support for her really delivering a, a sort of really top-notch lead actress performance. Fantastic. Guys, nice. enjoy the rest of the festival. Thank you. The festival's director has described this as, as your film. Um, can you tell us, uh, just tell me about Agnes and how you come to get involved on the project? Um, Agnes is a, a, an intriguing character. When I read the script, she was um, she it, she starts off as a character that I'm quite familiar with playing, you know, someone that's quiet and unobtrusive and can almost blend into the wallpaper. Um, she almost literally does in this film. And uh, and then she starts to find a quiet confidence and and, um, and in a very, very real way, which I, I, I really responded to. Mark, can I just ask you how you come to be involved on the project? How Puzzle fell on your lap, bar the better choice of words? Well, a friend uh, who is a producer uh, knew I was looking for a project to direct, and uh, she sent it over to me. So she had been working on uh, developing it, and then she sent it to me. I read it, and what's on the screen, 90% of that was on the page. So uh, I got a very, you know, it's rare to get a screenplay that's that well-developed. It's your second feature. Did you bring anything differently second time round oh, than your first one? Yeah, time? I learned so much. The first one was a farce. Uh, no, I mean, the, the story was fine. <laughs> Maybe my making of it was a farce also, but the, the story was a, it was a, farce, a farcical story. And tonally, I, I, it was a challenging movie for me. This one felt much more grounded. Uh, and I just learned so much from the first one uh, about how to listen to really smart people and also when to, how to keep your North Star in front of you and know how to stay true to your vision. So it's an interesting balance. My last question, I know you've asked this, you've answered this a few times, but how are you feeling then on the, on the opening night of this year's festival to launch this year's programme? I'm honoured. Above all else, I'm honoured. Uh, A, to be invited secondarily to be invited for the opening night and to be here with Kelly is a true honour. So thank you. Fantastic. Enjoy this evening. So that's our showcase of the festival's opening night. And moving on, we got a chance to speak with Sergio G. Sanchez, the writer and director of The Secret of Maribone. Uh, listeners might know him as the writer of The Orphanage, uh, the fantastic J.I. Bayona film, but this is Sergio's directorial debut. We got a chance to sit down and chat to him about the film. These Maribone kids, how well do you know them? It's just that they worry me, always hiding away from the community. They're not hiding. They live too far away. Get close together, come on. What are we going to do? I don't know, but if the truth comes out, they will separate us. 
Good luck, Mr. Marabone. So that's a clip of The Secret of Marabone, and I'm joined now by the film's writer and director, Sergio G. Sanchez. Sergio, hello to you. We're here at Edinburgh. Um, I'm going to ask you the question I know you've been asked several times this afternoon during this junket, but tell me a little bit about The Secret of Marabone. Okay, The Secret of Marabone, it's a uh, it's, uh, suspense fable, I think. It's, uh, it's uh, almost a, a dark fairy tale. It's the story of these four siblings who travel from, the, from England to the United States trying to hide from something very dark and violent in their past and starting a new life. And uh, months after their arrival at their new place, their mother dies. And they have to keep her death a secret so they won't be separated since they're all minors. And they only have one friend in town who's Ali, who's played by Anya Taylor-Joy. And then there's an unexpected visit that sort of shatters their world. And the story moves forward six months with something terrible having happened in this house that uh, Jack keeps hidden from us. And it's, uh, the movie becomes a game, sort of a puzzle of putting all the pieces together of knowing what happened in Maribor. Okay, you have definitely intrigued me. I'm seeing the film tomorrow evening, so I'm looking forward to watching it. Um, tell me this, like, what was the, the acorn of an idea that, that formed the genesis of the feature? Mm. It's, it's always difficult for me to point it out because it, I never know where, where stories come from. I've, uh, I always think that um, it's like we all inherit this piece of land that's uh, filled with the buried treasures and life gives you the tools to dig them out. So um, sometimes something will happen to you that you become obsessed with and, and, and you try to write a story that uh, will sort of make sense of that incident. So in, in my case, it, I was, uh, uh, it was the loss of someone very young in my family who, who was uh, very much, I guess, my, my first uh, reader or spectator uh, of everything I had written. And, and, and I, I wanted to build a story uh, that she would like and that sort of would make sense of uh, of what had happened. So it sparks from there, but I cannot tell you exactly where. I, the, the first time I pitched this story it was to Belena Tienza, my producer, who's, who's in town also. And I pitched her the story on a, on a train ride. We were going from Barcelona to Madrid. We were coming back from a meeting with Bayona. And and she was crazy about the idea, and she told me you should start writing this right away. And I was writing something else, I couldn't. So she told me, well, what what if you just give me three pages a day? And I started sending her those three pages. I had never written like that. Usually, I I think a lot about it, and then I'm I very quickly I, I write a draft in a week or something like that. Uh, so this new structure was almost like a, like a serialized novel. Uh, made me like end each of those uh, three, five-page sets with a little hook. And it was interesting. And, and I think that's what gave this movie this, uh, this strange Russian doll structure, where it's like the movie keeps changing and changing all the time until you get to the core of it. That personal nature of the genesis of the film and then that writing process, did you find it therapeutic? Did you find that along that way, you know, in some kind of sense, a therapeutic experience? Um, yes. Uh, I think, again, with, uh, with all I th life, sometimes life doesn't make sense and we try to give sense to it in, 
in non-fiction. And this is uh, the idea of the film. <laughs> and so, so, yes, in a way, it's, it, it, it was uh, therapeutic, but also you, f you feel like it's, when you make a film, you're trying to not be, I guess, blunt or specific about things. It's like you, 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 you send the message in a bottle and you throw it out to the sea, hoping that somebody will, will pick it up somewhere. And, but the film is, it's, uh, I think, there's no such thing as a good or a bad film in their life. I think there are sincere films and films that are not sincere. So if, if, if you make something from the bottom of your heart, hopefully it'll mean something for someone else. Uh, but it's like a, a radio signal. Some people will be able to tune into it and some people will not get it at all. You've mentioned about things meaning something to people. Like, I mean, The Orphanage uh, is a film that here at Banderflix we absolutely adore. We screened it in the past, mm -hmm. and that was very much a labour of love for yourself. That was, I think, 96, the early 90s, you had come up with the idea and that evolved. It wasn't until 2007 yeah. that feature got made. That was a feature you wanted to direct before it was before you meeting with uh, Bayona. Um, mm -hmm. Again, coming back then with this feature, was this always going to be something that you wanted to direct? Again, touching on that, that personal nature. Um, yes, there were actually, I think the, the root of everything is that, uh, that uh, short film I made called 7337. I, I shot that short film uh, after I wrote the screenplay for The Orphanage. And uh, I, I, I made that short film because I wanted to find producers who would hire me to direct my own script. And it was strange. I mean, now that the orphanage is perceived as a, as as a, as a very good movie universally, but because when I was shopping the script around, people kept telling me that it was a horrible script. Because uh, all all these producers were telling me you, you you don't know the first thing about writing, and this is this script doesn't know if it wants to be a melodrama or a horror movie. And I was like, I I thought, well, this is I think that's what makes the story special. Uh, and after, I mean, we had so many films that explore that uh, shady ground. Uh, but at the time, it was perceived as something that you couldn't do. And, and it wasn't that well received at the moment. It's, it's funny, now, when, uh, when Maribon opened in Spain, The Secret of Maribon opened in Spain, there were many film critics who, uh, who praised the orphanage that at the time had hated it. <laughs> so it's, uh, All critics are hypocrites. It's, not, it, it's just the thing you just have to accept. <laughs> but I don't know, sorry, I, I'm drifting away from your question. Your question no, 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 it's fine. It was just a kind of, this, of course, you, you've mentioned you've done shorts. You, I think you've done uh, work on TV as yeah. well. This feature is your uh, theatrical debut. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've mentioned you, you did shorts. How did you find that process of now stepping behind the camera and you are the, and not watching somebody else like say before like we mentioned Jay uh, Bayona um, taking your words and putting them on the screen how did you find that process yourself? Uh, well it was just glorious <laughs> but, no it was, it was uh, that's the kind of answer we like to see yeah, it was beautiful um, I mean it's, if, because uh, I, I, I was on the edge of really becoming a a bitter person because <laughs> I was writing all this uh, thing. I mean, when you write something, you have to. Uh, there are always stories that you you sort of feel person as like something personal. Uh, but a script is not a, a finished work. It's just like a blueprint for everybody else to to join in and 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 sort of complete with their creativity and, and artistry and talent. 
Um, so it, it, you always feel like you're abandoning your work half done. And, and after making three films that were hugely successful in Spain, I had the power <laughs> to say, okay, I'm going to direct this and nobody else is going to do it. Uh, so it, it was a big relief because, uh, as I was saying, I, I was beginning to turn into a grumpy old person. <laughs> so on that hand, I was uh, I was very happy to do it. And and then also I I sort of missed. I had been on set on all the films I had written, and I really missed having a writer on set on on my directorial uh, job. I think uh, I would love to direct films written by other people. I think it's always very interesting to be able to have uh, those two figures, I'm oh, sorry, on, on set, just the, the writer and the director engaging in conversation. I think all, there's always uh, uh, the ideas that come from that dialogue are always going to be more interesting than each idea separately. Uh, but it's very difficult to do that if you're both characters. So um, I tried. <laughs> Well, I, 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 I'll be watching the film tomorrow, so we can let you know then what we think. But tell me, you know, we're, we're running out of time, but tell me, you've assembled a very impressive cast. Yeah. You've mentioned Anya Taylor-Joy as an actress I absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've Mia Goth, you've, you've got George Mackay. You know, tell me about the assembling of your cast and the, the kind of, we're going to be speaking to him on the red carpet shortly. Mm-hmm. So what, tell me about that process. It was very exciting and very difficult because we, we had this casting director uh, based in London called Karen Lindsay Stewart, and she was just phenomenal. She understood the story perfectly, and she came up with all these options. And also I was, uh, I was surprised because I, I didn't think I would have such a spectacular mm, turn-up of talent. Uh, I mean, I, I thought... No English actor would want to audition for a first-time Spanish director. And suddenly I, I would get self-tapes from names I cannot mention. It would be very elegant. But, for, like, for example, when I, when I got Anya's self-tape, and then I was like, wow, uh, what's happening here? And uh, so I, I saw hundreds of actors, incredibly talented, and it was... Uh, it was very difficult to make that decision because I, the, the challenge was double. I had to find the right actress to play Sam, Billy, Jane, and, and Jack, but and Ali. But also, I had to find uh, a group that you would believe as a family, and it's not that easy. Uh, but it 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 all sort of fell into place miraculously. Mia was the first one I I, I offered a role to. I she was auditioning for me, and I and at the end. I asked her, would, would you please be my Jane? And I remember um, both Belen, my producer, and, and Karen looked at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is not the way it goes. You're supposed to see everyone. But I, I had like this uh, gut feeling that it was her. That, that I had just seen Jane in front of me. And Mia had, does this thing where she's like possessed by the character when she's acting, and that happened. It felt like I was in a, in a medium with a medium or something. And that same afternoon, uh, Charlie came in and also did a spectacular test for Billy, although he was convinced that he had ruined it, and I offered him the role. And then once I had uh, Charlie and, and me, I was like, okay, so then out of all the possible Jacks, who would I believe uh, would be the perfect uh, older brother? And, and I think George fit there, but also because of his uh, amazing talent as an actor, he can do anything, and he... He has this versatility where he can be 
tender and and scary and tough and warm at the same time and almost and also it's like depending on where you shoot him from he's, he's got like he transforms he becomes like it, it looks like he can be different people so it was it was it was perfect for the for this movie and it was shooting with them was just wonderful i was uh, i remember the last day uh the last day of of shooting i i i started and after it was a very tough shoot very very hard uh, because it, it's very hard to have people follow your instructions when you're a first timer, and uh, <laughs> on the on the technical crew, and uh, it w it had been so hard for me. And then the day it was over, I started crying because I was I, I was so sad. It was all coming to an end because it was so it had been such a beautiful experience to work with all these actors, and I and I felt you're so stupid about worrying about tiny little details when you were lucky enough to, to have made this. And I, I promised them that I, because I, they're, um, they're so talented that I think I, I, I would love to make a film with exactly the same cast that would be completely different and have them play completely different characters. And they're all very funny. I think it would be great to make a comedy with, with all five of them again. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> we shall have to leave it here. Um, Sergio, please do not become bitter. Please do not become bitter. And uh, good luck with the film and the rest of your time here at Edinburgh. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So that's our interview with Sergio, and we also got a chance to speak to some of the film's cast on the red carpet. So now you'll hear the voices of Nicola Harrison, Mia Goth, and George Mackay. Can I ask, like, what is it about? I know he's standing right beside us, but what is what is it about Sergio's vision that attracts you to the project? I mean, I know him as a as a screenwriter. What is he like as a director? He's a brilliant director because he gives you a lot of freedom, and there's a lot of discussion about the character and the story he wants to tell and how he wants to get that across so he's very communicative and in between takes he'll come and talk to you and it's, it feels like a real dialogue where you're given freedom to express what you want to bring to the project as well so he's just a brilliant collaborator and what's your lasting memories of working on the, the shoot my friendships that I've made from the film I think because it's a small team I already knew Sergio because I worked on a film that he wrote before called The Impossible so I knew the executive producers as well but the friendships I made with the other actors is they're friends for life and that's been a really beautiful thing to have come out of it. Thank you very much. Enjoy this evening. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Can I just ask, like, for working with Sergio, as a first-time director who was a fantastic screenwriter, what was he like on set? He couldn't have been any better. He was a dream. He was so giving and so thoughtful and so passionate and I think that's probably the most important thing he so cared and that really came across and he just wanted to make the best movie possible and was open to all ideas and it was very much a collaborative effort and as an actor I don't think you could really want anything more than that I, I completely agree like he was, Sergio as a person is so like it's so giving and, and wants I don't know wants to create an experience as much as as much as tell the story and so that our experience was the way in which we told the story, you know, the way, the, the, the vibe and the ethos that he created on set and what he encouraged from us and how much he encouraged us to explore every scene was just so gratifying as actors and as people as well. So it was, it was lovely. Fantastic. Enjoy this evening. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, thank you. So that's our interviews from the red carpet of the Secret of Marabone's UK premiere. We're going to move on and wrap this podcast up as I caught up with Ben Elton to chat about his latest feature, Three Summers. 
Jesse's in trouble, and it isn't for saying. Lovely, lovely. Cheers. It's a great little festival. It's too safe. They book dinosaur pub rock bands. I am a 26-year-old folk chick, lucky enough to get paid for it. I'm not going to pretend that pub rock is my scene. It is not pub rock. It's folk rock. Folk rock is pub rock. The punters love it. Punters loved Hitler. So that's a clip of Three Summers, and I'm joined now by the film's writer and director, Ben Elton. Ben, hello to you, sir. You are, you're here in Edinburgh. And um, we'll start with a loaded question. I'm sure you have been asked this numerous times already at this junket, but tell me about Three Summers. What's it all about? Uh, well, I'm very happy to. That's, why, that's kind of why I'm here. Uh, it's a multi-character comedy um, with a central romance at its theme. It's not, a, not really a traditional rom-com because really that's only one of, of a half a dozen quite significant stories that all interweave. It's set at a, a rural folk, rural music festival in Western Australia um, and uh, I guess it's about a lot of laughs and a few tears it's an it's a I hope it's a very entertaining film might provoke the odd uh, thought along the way as I hope my, my work tends to do but really it's an opportunity now bringing the movie to Britain to show people who are interested in what I do a, a side of my life which perhaps you know is, it, uh, you know I've never been able to really work with before, which is my Australian life. I'm married to an Australian. I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time over there over the years, half my life really, since I first met her. And this is an opportunity, this was a chance to, to make a very Australian film about aspects of the Australian conversation, all of which meet at this quirky little folk festival. You've, you've kind of touched on my next question, but I'm going to see if we can push it a little further and dig deeper. So where was the acorn of an idea that formed the, the basis of the film and how did it evolve on its journey from that idea to, to find it on the big screen? Well, um, I've always wanted to make another film. Yeah. I had the great opportunity back in the 20th century. I made Maybe Baby with Hugh Laurie and Jolie Richardson and I loved it. Writing and directing a film is one of the great privileges that you can have as a, as a comic artist, I'm sure, as any sort of artist. Uh, but then I had my own kids and, and, and I kind of sort of stayed at home for 10 years writing novels. But I've always wanted and dreamt that I'd have another chance. Um, of course, living in Australia for the last few years, we, we, my wife and I decided we'd do the, the kids' primary school in England and then we'd, we'd, we'd relocated to her, her world and they've done their high school in Australia. So I've been very much a part of what's going on in WA. And we go to this festival. She's a musician. My wife's a bass player. That's how I met her. Rick Mail and I were touring in the mid-'80s and her band was supporting us in Australia. And I married the bass player. And, and since then, I've been... You know, very immersed in the Australian indie music scene. I always have done. I was sort of roadie for it for years. Um, and we used to go to this festival. It's a very, it's not, it, it's a great family one. It's like, it's, it's as far from Glastonbury as you can get. It's like the difference between a, a sort of corner shop and, and Waitrose, you know, where it's a little local country thing. Kids can run around. And I just remember sitting there in the beer tent, um, as I often used to, uh, thinking, what an, it always looks the same. Each year we come here, and it's always the same kid buskers, grumpy teenagers. But funnily enough, last year's kid buskers are this year's grumpy teenagers. This year's lovers will be next year's fighters in the tent screaming at each other. And I thought, I, I really had this vision of a multi-character comedy. I thought, how, wouldn't it be wonderful to set, to set a bunch of stories over three years and only meet them at the festival. So the film is three summers. There's one brief moment when you see them outside of the festival. But really, the film is simply... You see two days of each year for three years, and how have these stories developed? And, of course, it's immediately my storytelling antenna. I thought, that's a great idea, because everybody 
Everybody meets at festivals. We all like music, and yet you might be right-wing, you might be left-wing, you might be religious, you might be an atheist. All, we're all equal in a queue for the poor to lose. And I just thought, what a great way to tell a bunch of stories and have them influence each other and really show contemporary Australia, as I was observing it from both the outside and the inside, as both, as both a foreigner, which I'll always be. The funny thing is when you're in Australia, if you're British, if you're a POM, yeah. or if you're English, you're always foreign, you know, it's funnily enough. Um, but also as an insider. I mean, I am Australian and, and I know the place very well. So that's where the genesis came and I put together an idea and started looking for funding. <laughs> Tell me, look, I mean, you've, you've written for TV, you've written for stage, you've, you've written before for um, film. You know, what for you as a, as a writer, is there a different approach? Is there a different style to the method? Like, I mean, do you treat those, because they're very different things in their own kind of right, but I mean, do you treat that process of the writing differently for a feature as you would say TV or you would the stage? No, not, not me. For me it's all, um, it's all comic writing and, and of course my writing is, isn't just comic, it yeah. tends to have some sort of you know, social observations and I, 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 I tend to just draw from within and it's the same process. I write what I feel like writing and the process never differs. You address the page and hope something will come. Um, and so the form, the genre, whether I'm a musical writing the script of a book of a musical or a sitcom like Upstart Crow, is very much the same process for me. Clearly, um, sometimes the genre gives you different inspirations. Like writing a musical is great fun because you have the songs and you can actually enjoy that and they can, they can spin ideas. And of course, if you're writing a, a sitcom, you begin to have the knowledge of characters that the, that the audience carry with them from the previous series, and that also affects the way you might write something. Um, but having said that, the process for me, even down to directing, is always just a process of personal improvisation, seeking the best ideas that I can personally come up with. So I, I, I've always say I'm principally a writer, even though I've worked in every field. Um, you know, I never expected to be a novelist. That was simply a factor of me basically falling in love with an Australian girl. I went to Australia and I had nothing to do because I wasn't known there, and I sort of started writing novels. Um, I've always, to me, life is an improvisation, and of course art is an improvisation, and I never really know what I'm going to do or what I'm going to write until it's actually happening. You know that Ian Foster, mis I always misquote it, how can I tell you what I think until I've heard what I have to say? And that's the same, how can I tell you what the script is going to be like until I've, I've written it, really? You've mentioned there when, when we spoke about, you know, you're seen as the kind of the outsider, I mean, uh, within Australia. Your last feature, Maybe Baby, um, was very much a, a British affair. Mm. This is kind of you uh, treading your toes in Australian culture. I mean, mm. was there any challenges for you bringing it back to the writing aspect or even kind of the reception of that? I mean, I know it, it screened at the Melbourne International yeah. Film Festival. That, I, whilst I do think the two are very similar senses of humour, I mean, was there any kind of um, cultural difficulties or that, ice, that view that you've mentioned, you were seen as the outsider? The poem, yeah. Um, no, not with audiences. The audience receptions have been amazing, and that night at Melbourne was perhaps the best night of my career. It was 900 people packed out theatre, and it was a wonderful, wonderful night. I'll always have some problem with... Comedy and popular entertainment will always have problems with some critics. Some they say it's obvious, it's easy, whatever. But I, I'm not going to talk about that. But in terms of popular reception, the, the reaction to this movie has been amazing. I mean, the exit polling, etc., has been great. I think generally people have embraced what is an honest and good-spirited attempt to take a comic snapshot 
of, 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 of Australia, but aspects of Australia in 2017 when we made it. Um, there's no doubt about it that my position looking in as well as looking out helped me with it. And it did present particular writing challenges because some aspects of the story carried great responsibility. And the particular one is the Aboriginal story, my relations with the Noongar community in Binjara. Now, that was a journey of learning and also an enormous privilege because I obviously the first thing I did when I started to write the Aboriginal story is to go through Screen West and Screen Australia to meet um, uh, Noongar elders and representatives of the community and start to immerse myself a bit because obviously not only do you have a responsibility to get it right but a fascination to... And there's no doubt about it that the Aboriginal experience in Australia is, in, is, is, is entirely different to any other um, uh, ethnic experience in Australia and, and it is based on a, an ongoing 200-year nightmare of, 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 of truly... Um, Catastrophic proportions. This is a this is a, this is a, a terrible thing. But it has resulted in great great beauty and great heroism. So much destroyed, so much has developed. And I had the privilege of being coming some small part of, of getting to know some aspects of an experience that I could never know as a very privileged middle class English white person. Um, and I made good friends and and was involved in my my best experience on the movie was being part of a smoking ceremony. I'm not a very... That doesn't mean smoking in terms of smoking and inhaling. It means being part of the smoke ceremony where you yeah. dance in the smoke. Um, and um, so, yeah, that, that presented real difficulties. I wrote with great care and took great advice. But in the long run, of course, one of the things I encountered most when dealing with sensibilities is, one, we're not all the bloody... <laughs> there is no Aboriginal sensibility, mate. Yeah. We're as many individuals as anyone else. Well, I, I knew that, but obviously you also... When you're coming up against due diligence with film funding words, when you say you must have this, you know... Uh, you must, you know, quite rightly do due diligence, but that leads to a kind of almost box ticking, which, of course, is the last thing you want when exploring a human story. Um, and so what I discovered most was the wonderful desire to be part of the comedy and to embrace the comic experience and uh, as I say I've made friends that I will have all my life I mean Kudar my main uh, fo focus of my uh, uh, you know my mateship which is a term that is used there um, will always be close and and the fact that you know when they you know I won't go into it sounds patrick but I had some wonderful experiences yeah You've touched on that. I mean, what is your, going to be your lasting memories of the shoot? Because I think it was 25 days, I think. It was a quick turnaround. Sure. It was a very quick turnaround, but very intense. I mean, you know, three million Australian dollars, three and a half million Australian dollars, about two million quid. I mean, obviously, we're, we were all, it was done on a, you know, whiff of an oily rag. So very intense. Very, and we're all in this, you know, this one location. So, but my most specific memory is the opening, the pre, the, the, the eve of shoot, when we all were welcomed by a large mob of Noongar, and that's that's the phrase, you know, uh, 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 and and they um, welcomed us with a with a very beautiful ceremony live. And when until you've heard like, didgeridoo played under a massive velvet sky out in the bush in Western Australia, you know, for me as the son of a refugee, somebody who was an incomer into Britain, my father arrived here as a traumatized, terrified 15 year old in 1939. Obviously, I've had nothing but a privileged life. I have no experience like that. But, I mean, I'm aware of it through my father and through my involvement with, you know, any number of, you know, campaigns and things on refugee. And to become, to be welcomed in this ceremony by um, Noongar people, to be invited to join the dance, fully aware as I am of what is a historical crime of epic proportions, 
um, which is obviously the, the genocide and the, the lack of recognition of invasion, which is obviously what it was, you know, the idea that many Australians still hang on to the idea that this was some kind of benign colonisation of an empty place, which of course is, a, is, is, is the greatest myth of Australia, of course. Um, and it was beautiful to be a part of it. And let me give, say, though, not all Australians are like Many people, you know, there's a, there's, there are many, many people working hard for reconciliation, but, but we're a long way yet, and there's a, lot of, there's a big debt still to be paid. Um, anyway, that was my most beautiful memory, but the whole community, the entire experience is just one wonderful memory because a, a film set is a community, and I think that the director is is just a member of that community, just the most fortunate member of that community. I, I find it very strange that a lot of directors have a reputation for being very arrogant. I know lots of nice directors, but there is this idea of the director throwing their weight around. To me, the director should be the most humble person on any film set because you are the person who gets to have the vision, which every other artist in the community, every other tradesperson, every other craftsperson is offering their passion and their, their own vision to enable. So, you know, you're at the centre of something and, and that should lead to due humility. I, I, I really believe that. I mean, it sounds very pious and slightly goody-goody, but when you're sat on a seat and you realise all this is trying to make what I dreamt of that day happen, and um, it certainly made me feel very privileged indeed and, and also very excited and gleeful. And we had a very happy time and, and all parted as good friends, which... Uh, I think is the best is 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 the best result you could hope for on a on a movie set. You know. Fantastic, Ben. On that humble note, uh, <laughs> thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of your time oh, at the Edinburgh Film Festival. Thank so, you. Thank you very much. So that's my interview with Ben Elton, and that pretty much brings this podcast to a close. The second part of our Edinburgh International Film Festival special will be live soon, so check that out. Don't forget to subscribe, however you get your podcast fixed, to make sure you never miss an episode, and uh, we'll be back with more podcasts soon. But for now, until then, goodbye.